Well, my name's Nancy Steibel. Um, I'm a physician assistant. I am a member of the Fellowship of Christian Physician Assistants. I've been a PA for 35 years. Uh, I'm also a member of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And myself and a colleague uh, halfway back, Jack Pike, serve as the liaisons, uh, PA liaisons with Christian Medical and Dental Association in their global health outreach arm. So since 2000, um, I've had the privilege of going around the world uh, on short-term mission, and it's from that experience and some life experiences that I'm going to share today, this topic, the Master's Preparation for Global Missions. Now, that's a little different title than the title in the book, but I think the summary of what we're going to talk about is correct in your book. So we had a little uh, communication error in, in what got printed and what the title was supposed to be. I'd like to start by asking, um, how many of you in the room have had no global um, health mission experience? Okay. How many have had some short-term global mission experience? Oh, good. That's almost, that's at least half. And how many of you have had full-time medical mission experience? Great. Well, do you want to come on up here and put this mic on and do this for me? <laughs> wow. Well, what I hope is, uh, I'm going to give you some content. Uh, I'm going to have you do some interacting with me. And then what I really want is for us to make this uh, kind of a give and take, okay? I want to hear from you who've had experience, short-term and long-term. So feel like if you've got a comment that the Holy Spirit is telling you you need to make, raise your hand and we're going to let you do that, okay? And I also need some volunteers. And actually, in the Army, I think this is how they do it. Would you please... I'm going to need some people to just read some scripture at some point. Thanks, Rick and Sarah. Thank you. And I need three others. Quickly, somebody. How about it? Can you? I can't go very far. I'm on this tether. Thank you. And one more. Going, going. Great. Thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, First thing I want you to do... um, I want you to watch this little bit of video, and as you do, you're going to ask in your mind the question, how would I be prepared to uh, minister in such a place?
Okay, I think you got a glimpse. Um, that was a video filmed on a trip that I took to Managua, Nicaragua, in December of 2009. And what I'd like you to do now is turn that piece of paper over that was on your seat, and you're going to answer a few questions, and you'll notice the page is divided in half. The questions are repeated on the bottom, but the first, the top part is the pretest. And I want you to answer those questions. In regards to a place like this, or perhaps another place that you've been if you've had full-time or short-time experience, or perhaps a place that you may be anticipating going if you have not had. And the questions are, first and foremost, what will you do to prepare for your trip? And I just want you to write A, B, and C, three quick things. What will you take with you? Three quick things. Where will you go and why should you go? So take a few minutes now and just jot those answers down. I sure didn't anticipate. I have anybody else? I've got, oh, here's two. Here's two more. Um, can you pass them all the way back? Just all the way. I'd come back, but I've got this hook on. Okay, just take a few minutes. And then I just want you to turn that page over and forget it for now. When you're done, how I just given me your eyes so I know we could go ahead. Okay, just to start, um, the picture of Managua that you saw. And now these questions that you've asked, what are your motives for going? Just off the top of your head, anyone? Need. Pardon me? There's, There's a need. So you're going to go. That's excellent. Anyone else? Desire to help. Okay. Showing our love, showing our care. If you know the language, that's an excellent. All of these are excellent. Anyone else? Setting 
says it in the Bible. Excellent. To share the gospel, certainly. A calling that God has. Every one of those. Excellent. Let's take a look at uh, recognizing the motives. Because first and foremost, as we go, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Why should I go? And some of you have already answered that in the motives that you've listed. Where should I go? And how should I go? So those are the three questions we're going to try to answer. You took the pretest. The first is why should I go? Again, you've answered. Bible tells us there's needs. I know the language. I want to care. I do care, and I want to care for those in need. Someone said God's word. Now, there's some people out there who, to whom I gave these scriptures, and I'd like you to read them out loud so we can hear. This is obviously just a sample of what God's word says to us. Let's start with the Old Testament. Who has Isaiah 1, 16 through 17? few reasons to go there. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Okay? Luke 7, 19 through 23. And you won't have all of those. Just what I've given to you to read. Yes, sir. It's Luke 7, 21 through 23. And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And who is the he in that? Is it Rick? Yeah. Who, who's the he in that verse? Who's the action uh, character? Who's doing the work? Jesus. Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? Of Jesus. Anybody know what that word disciple means? A learner, a learner even more than that. A follower, a follower even more than that. The, the, work, the word disciple in the Greek actually means to be like the one you're following. And isn't Jesus talking to his disciples and telling them what he wants them to do? And that's exactly who we are. Just 2,000 years forward the disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to be like him. So the example written or read was exactly what Jesus was doing were to do. Okay? Luke 2. Luke 9, 2. Excuse me. Okay. Who sent? In that verse, who's the he sending? God. And who is he? Well, Jesus specifically. And who's he sending? The disciples, you and me. James 1, 26 through 27. James 1, 26. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and the widows in their troubles and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. One of my favorite verses. What does it say? The real, 
true, authentic religion is. To, to visit the orphans and serve the widows. And if any of you have been in the developing world, what do you see more of than anyone else? You see a lot of the men? I hate to say it, guys, but they're usually not around. But who's around? The widows and the orphans. Absolutely. Um, and then finally, First John 3, 16 through 18. Who has that? Thank you. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from them, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love not... So as the last portion of that verse, those verses say, if we see someone in need, what are we to do? We're to help them. If someone needs something that we have, whether it's right here in Louisville, Kentucky, or it's in Nicaragua, or it's halfway around the world in Africa, if we know of a need and we're able to meet that need, what does First John say, and that's only one of the many places that it's mentioned in the Bible. What does it say? We as disciples of Jesus Christ are to do. We are to do it. We are to take care of it. We are to share it. We are, we are called as his disciples. Okay, I think that's pretty clear. Um, let's just look at the world economically prior to 1820. We've got to get an idea of what, what the needs are out there, and specifically prior to then, there was very little economic growth in the world. There also was low economic inequality. There weren't countries like the United States of America that had 25 to 50 to 75 percent of the goods and services. There was an equality amongst in the economic world. Richest only four times greater than the average poor. So what inequality there was was not very great. What's it like? as a result of the Industrial Revolution, which came shortly thereafter. Unprecedented economic growth just in a few countries, obviously, were one of them. All other countries were left out. Now America lives on $90 a day, the average American. Can you believe that, $90 a day? <coughs> one billion in the world live on less than $1 a day. And an additional 2.6, which represents an additional 40% of the world's population, lives on $2 a day. You see the inequity. The church was the front line on poverty. And then, in those years between 1900 and 1930, they had what they called the Great Reversal. Basically, this is when theologians and evangelists decided that the job of the church was to evangelize, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Certainly it is. None of us are going to argue that. But we also have another component, and that's to feed and to care for. It's not enough to share the gospel without meeting the felt needs of his people. All of this preceded, in this country, um, FDR and LBJ. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times the church says, well, we don't need to do it because the government's doing it. And it was in the 30s and the 40s during FDR and LBJ that this country's government assumed this war on poverty, not only here in the United States but around the world. But does that mean we as the church need only evangelize the world? 
not according to what we read. So the church is now rediscovering what we call the full gospel, which is evangelism as well as um, social justice. In, in missions, there's been a significant, in the last 10 to 20 years, shift in the paradigm from give a man a fish to teach him how to fish. And most of us, especially if, you've, if you're into missions and you've been reading, understand that. And Steve Saint, who's speaking right now over in the worship center, uh, amongst others, um, probably articulates this better than anyone else. And he speaks of it out of his own life experience. He, his father was uh, one of, I think it was four men, with Elizabeth Elliot's husband, who were ministering in an um, unreached tribe in Ecuador. And at the hand of the chiefs of that unreached tribe, they lost their lives. And Steve was a little boy then, stayed there until he was 12 years old, came back to the States, and then went back as an adult. And as a result of what he saw when we were giving fish rather than teaching men to fish, he really has um, spoken worldwide on this whole idea of we need to teach. We need to give them a hand up, not a hand out. Um, And that third point I, I also wanted, we need to teach them to volunteer to work right alongside us. It's incredible in the developing world, if any of you have been there, or those that have been there, excuse me, I know many of you have, they've almost been taught to sit on the sidelines and wait for us to come. And that does not um, mirror the biblical example of what missions is supposed to be. So we have a responsibility not only to teach them how to fish, but to teach them how to work with us, to make a partnership. And then finally, Um, Something that has just really been getting a lot of uh, attention recently is this whole idea of microfinance and economic development. It's one thing to go short-term or even long-term and meet physical needs, but until we're able to assist them in economic development in their own country, that cycle of poverty will continue. So... Hopefully that's why you should go, and most of it is based on God's word um, and the needs, and certainly the fact that we, as citizens of this country, who have so much, um, God has enabled us, in many cases, to go. So where should you go? Um, Many of you may be familiar with a book by the name of Experiencing God, subtitle, Knowing and Doing the Will of God, written by a guy by the name of Henry Blackaby. Anybody ever heard of that book? Well, I first met Henry Blackaby in the form of uh, a Bible study on experiencing God back in 1995, and it absolutely was a book that changed my life. It changed the way I looked at how am I to understand what God's will is for my life. And all I can say is um, I recommend it highly to those of you who have not uh, ever had the opportunity. It comes in workbook form. You can do it in small groups. You can do it in large uh, church groups. Our church, our whole church did it one year. Or you can read the book as, as a devotional. But I would strongly encourage you, not just in missions, but in everything that we do, to, to take, to give um, this book some, some uh, an opportunity to speak to you. These are the basic principles. Um, first of all, 
God's at work all around us. Oh, that seems, yeah, sure, I know that. But how many of us get up each and every day, and the first thing we think of is, oh, my gosh, he's here, he's at work. And second point, he's pursuing a love relationship with me. Everything is initiated from God's perspective. And then, on top of it, which I think is the greatest privilege of all, he, God, who's at work all around and pursuing me, is inviting me to be part of his work. When you think of that, does that just not blow your mind? Now, this is simple, and you've heard it all before, but in this... um, This listing and this perspective, it just, it was like the light bulb went on. So I don't need to say, oh, I want to know what your will for my life is. And please tell me what your life, what your will for me is. It's all about God. Where are you at work? And where would you like me to join you? And once you get that perspective, those first three steps, then you listen for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And most of us, I would hope, have heard the Holy Spirit speaking. The invitation that you're going to get from the Lord will always lead to a crisis of belief. This is the, this is the negative part. This is when you're walking through and wondering if you really did hear correctly. You're going to have to make major adjustments in your life if he invites you to join you in his work and you agree to do it. But I guarantee you, When you start thinking this way and living this way, you're going to experience God like you've never experienced him before. Now, let's go just a little bit more in depth on these points. He's always at work. Is there anyone that questions that? He's God. And in John 5, it says, My father's been working until now. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And remember, since we're disciples of Jesus Christ and we're following him and we're trying to be just like him, if the Son is watching what his Father's doing so he knows what he's supposed to do, what are we supposed to do? Watch the Father. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. And he'll do the same for us today. God pursues and God invites um, three verses. I drew them with gentle cords with bands of love. No one can come to me unless the Father draws it. God works in you to will and to do for his pleasure. So it's up to God to tap you on the shoulder and let you know he's working and, oh, my gosh, he's got an assignment for you. Would you like to accept my invitation? Kind of like that mission impossible. Accept it if you would like. How does he speak to us? Now, some of us hear audible voices. You may have experienced him speaking, but most often it's going to be through his word. So, gosh, if I want to know what God wants me to do, where am I likely, where do I need to spend some time? In his word. Then, through prayer. And I think all of us, as we have sought whatever, perhaps your professional career, Um, a relationship, a significant, uh, whatever, you're praying. The two most important ways that the Holy Spirit is going to speak is through his word and through prayer. Then he may speak to you through the body of Christ, your brethren. You may be asking somebody else to pray for you. This mission trip has come up. 
I don't have any resources, but I have this feeling I'm supposed to go. Will you join me in pursuing the question, am I to go? And then through circumstances. Now, all four of those, or at least three of the four, should uh, coordinate with one another. In other words, if you've heard it in prayer, you're probably going to hear it in the word. And you're going to have some confirmation through someone in the body or through circumstances. Again, just another way to know, where am I to go? you got to accept the invitation. That's up to you. It's just like the invitation to become a follower of Jesus Christ. No one else can do it for you. It's going to require faith. Is there much in life as we follow Jesus Christ that's not going to require faith? And it's invisible. And it's tough. It's going to require major adjustments. I remember the first time I signed up to go on one of these short-term mission trips. My 70-year-old mother decided she should go too. And then we had a 16-year-old daughter that thought she might like to be a PA, so she should go too. Now, this is a brand-new experience for me, and all of a sudden, my mother and my daughter are going too, and we were just going to Honduras. I say that now because after having been a bit further away from home, but still, my first trip, and I, I was very much, and I needed to make some major adjustments, and the first one was, hey, God asked me to do this. He's going to enable me to do it. And I just, have to, I just have to adjust to that fact. And then the last one's obedience. What happens when we obey? Anyone. What happens when you, when you hear him and you say yes and then you go ahead and do it? Pardon me? Blessings. Anyone else? You feel great about it. Anybody else's lives changed as a result of you obeying? How's that make you feel? Talk about building the kingdom. So, as you accept that invitation, you've got to expect it's going to get tough. And you're going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to make major adjustments, and you're going to have to obey. You may try to duck out at the last minute. My husband always says, about two weeks before I'm going to leave, do I have your permission to remind you when you first accepted this invitation how excited you were. Because I know you're going to come to me and say, oh, you know, this just really isn't convenient. I could, I could just send this money. Think how much more could be done than if I, you know, spend it on the ticket and so forth. So you're going, you're going to want to duck out um, unless you're not like the rest of us. But I, it just it's going to require obedience. Okay, how should I go? Alone, uh, with a church group, uh, with an organization that goes short-term or full-time. Again, this is all based on the previous um, teaching on how do I understand what the will of God is. But let's, let's, take a, um, let's look at some other aspects of, of how should I go. It's key that we've got to understand the needs. Um, Going blind, going misinformed, is going to do more harm than good. We know there's a lot of hunger out there. In or 50 million every night. And when I say hunger, this is hunger to the point that the pain is, is gripping. 11 million children dying at the age of five or under. 20% of the people in the developing world have no access to clean water. So you are going to be dealing with that. 
Bad water kills. Two and a half million every year. Literacy, 51% or less in the developing world. And certainly women, especially in the Muslim world, less than 12%. 50% of those in Africa, there's no health care. And there will be no health care system. 10 million die every year from common preventable diseases, and you are not going to necessarily be able to save them or even change the course of that. Actually, in Africa, life expectancy under 30. How many of you have been in Africa, done short-term to Africa? Okay, again, I'm, I'm telling you things you already know. Many of them, I, it says an outfit of clothing. <laughs> that, that's putting it, uh, that's being very generous and employment, just in the Congo, 10% with no employee rights. I mean, jobs are, are just, you know, almost non-existent. One out of 1,000 have no access. One out of 1,000 have access to a safe place to save money. Now, why is that important? Remember, we talked about microfinance and development. This is more long-term. But there is no such thing as a savings bank. There is, in many cases, not even a bank. It's the under the pillow. And when you're talking about changing things and and reversing that chronic cycle of poverty, this becomes key. Certainly no credit available uh, to start businesses. Governments are very volatile and very corrupt. Um, I know that we get disgusted with Washington and even our state capitals, but it, it pales in comparison to what we're talking in the developing world. And certainly, we all are aware of the fact that not everyone out there is Christian. In fact, Hindu, Buddha, Muslim. And and I think the thing that we most often overlook, but is a tremendous, especially in Africa, influence, is the witchcraft. Very, very definitely um, a part of their everyday life. Even in the church, even amongst the Christians, witchcraft is a part of everyday life. We've got to understand what their expectations are. Let's face it. uh, The white man from the U.S., as far as they're concerned, has the resources to take care of all of their needs and certainly the wisdom and the knowledge. And is that truth? No. So their expectations when you're coming are extremely high. And we've got to be ready for that. So when we say, how should we go? We have to go understanding and knowing all these things. Two books, two other books um, that I want to recommend to you, and they all have to do with this paradigm shift. In addition to Steve Saint's book, which is Great Omission, and it's in the bookstore. I was just in there um, before coming up here, and it's available there. Great book. When Helping Hurts, written by um, Steve Cobert and Brian Fickert, and then The Poor Will Be Glad. Um, And let's just look at some of the principles from these two books. Again, understanding their expectations and yours. Work is not a curse. Teaching people to work is a good thing. It provides for future generations, and it encourages independence. And I'm afraid we haven't done missions that way all the time. We go believing that giving what we have is going to help, and it simply enables dependency, and it continues the chronic cycle of poverty. And 
it runs down a sense of ever being able to be, inter, you know, independent and self-reliant. When we go, we've got to discern, and this is key, and, and Jack Pike, my colleague, has a wonderful talk. Is it tomorrow on what we treat? Um, check that out. He, he's going to talk a lot about this. I remember how, I, I have to say, from 2000 on, on my first short-term mission to, to today, how, what a different approach we've used in just those 10 years on what we treat on short-term mission at least, that's the only experience I have, um, when we go to the developing world. And you have to think, is this relief that I am providing? Or is it development? Or is it a combination of the two? And I would submit to you that the more you go on short-term mission, and especially if you're returning to the same place, the more difficult it becomes to simply look at it as short-term relief because you're going back and you're seeing that same cycle of poverty and economic underdevelopment and you're thinking, what can we do for the long term? And I believe that's where God's heart is. He wants the world changed and the kingdom built for a long term. The other thing, and I've already hopefully made this point, is that it is our our, we should have the expectation that we want to teach them how to be part of the work that God's called us to do in their country and to serve their own. We've got a project started in, um, in Zambia in the northwestern um, corner. Um, some people who are, were team members, short-term team members, that are now boots on the ground full-time for a year have seen a need, tremendous numbers of orphans, and I'm talking infants, placed on a, a church uh, building at, their, at the doorway or at the town community center or whatever, and just abandoned. And there are many orphanages, but not enough. And so they, these uh, U.S. full-time missionaries, who are working in conjunction with the Pentecostal Holiness Church, our national partner there, have just been, been led by God to start an orphanage. And um, they needed a certain sum of money, and we've rounded that up, and it's become available. But we've challenged them to do as much in-kind volunteer work, like painting the walls, like maybe you've got someone who can do the electrical or the plumbing. In other words, you gather the Zambians that are in the body of Christ there and see how many of them will work with you. Lower the cost for labor, because they're going to volunteer their time. And if it, don't we do that here in our country? I mean, if we're going to build uh, uh, maybe an addition on our church, well, who can paint? Who can do this? Who can do that? So we're teaching them that whole idea of volunteering to be a part of the work God's doing. As we go, how we go involves a whole bunch of um, personal responsibility and in three particular areas, spiritual, physical, and intellectual. First of all, spiritual. Talked about the witchcraft. Certainly, all over the world, the enemy is at work. Anybody doubt that? There is a war going on each and every day 
around us all. And it's in the heavenlies. And it's a battle against principalities. And when you accept God's invitation to do anything, you're going to have, you're, you're going to stir up that battle. Especially if you are going to a part of the world that's unreached or where you're going to be presenting the gospel. You just might as well turn up that, the heat in the heavenlies and the battle a hundredfold. You need to realize that. And so how are you going to cope with that? What's the antidote to that increased warfare? Well, again, his word's pretty clear. The maybe third or fourth trip I took, our team leader suggested that we read the book of Acts. What is the book of Acts all about? His church going out. And if you ever wanted to read about spiritual warfare, you look at Paul, you look at Barnabas, you look at Silas, you look at Timothy. What did they endure as they went out? But nothing is mentioned more. Well, I shouldn't put it that way. But I don't know that there's a book of the Bible where the Holy Spirit is more evident in Acts. They didn't go under their own power. And every time they met a wall, the Holy Spirit was there speaking to them. So, book of Acts is one of the things I read as I'm getting ready to go on a trip. Matthew 10 through 12. That's the part of Matthew where Jesus is speaking to the disciples and the crowds and telling them how to go out, giving them the authority to go, to heal the sick, to let the lame walk, and to defeat Satan and to drive out demons. And it's a wonderful reference point. Again, for getting ready for the spiritual aspect of going. And then a devotional. Most team leaders, if you're going with an organization or you have a team leader, they may suggest some. Prayer. I don't know how many of you know that in the military, for every soldier that goes to the front line, there are 10 support military supporting that one soldier. That ratio is a good ratio when you go. For one of you, you should have 10 fervent, committed prayer warriors behind you. The Chima is that um, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. Our pastor challenged us to say that over 30 days straight and see what the difference in your, that makes in your life. Every day, start with it and end with it. I don't know if any of you have ever done it, but I'm here to tell you. Everybody is your neighbor. It's not those people out there. As far as God's concerned, they're your neighbor. And it really, again, just sort of refocused uh, at least my heart and my eyes on how I was to behave, and that certainly is true when you go in as a guest to someone else's country. And then the commissioning. I, I just, this is very scriptural. This is what they did in the Acts 2 church. Laying on of hands and having your local body of Christ really send you. And it is basically the authority of the church being laid upon you to go out. And I would just strongly encourage it's another way, uh, another um, point on how we should go. Physically fit. 
those of us who've gone, um, to, you know, you may go days without a shower. Uh, you're going to be going, um, doing our regular bodily functions in situations that you never thought existed. You are going to be eating very different food. And some of that food will be such that you won't be eating at all. So we need, and of course, God's called, uh, this is his temple, our body, and we're to take care of it. So you should definitely have had a recent physical. Obviously, you need to get the right immunizations, and all that can be found on the web or at your local travel um, um, office entity, medical travel offices in big cities. Any of the prophylactic things that you need, um, you know, um, malaria, that sort of thing. And getting into a regular routine. Now, most of us, I think, do have a regular routine. But sleeping at the same time. Um, getting exercise. You're probably going to take long plane trips. And then on top of that, long bus trips. And then maybe even long hikes into the place. Or, you know, I mean... Exercise and weight loss, uh, if appropriate, because, again, we have got to be physically fit. If we're going in to help others, we don't want to be the ones getting sick. Sleep, well hydrated. All of those are pretty straightforward. Um, just as important is that we be well informed about the culture we're going into and the country we're going into. We're all familiar with that concept of the ugly American, that book that was written probably well before most of this audience was born, but for those of us who are um, seasoned citizens. Uh, and, and it really is true. We just expect that everybody speaks English or will understand us or will accommodate us, blah, 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 blah. We need to be the one going in as a visitor knowing who they are, understanding their culture, uh, having read up on that country, talk with others that have gone, review the medicine in the developing world. There is a wonderful book. Um, it's called Developing World Medicine, and it's one of, I'm sure, many. Um, the organization that, that Jack and I are associated with sends every team member one of those books as you get ready to go. And it's basically written by an MD and a DO, and it's all the medicine that none of us see in this world, or in this country, certainly. And just getting yourself tuned into that. Um, obviously, when you get there, things, things will be, uh, you know, very localized. And, uh, but having a film familiarity, expect depravity and, and poverty. That, that scene that I showed you um, originally is a huge garbage dump in the center of Managua. Um, which is the capital of Nicaragua. And what they were doing, um, and that's where we ministered. And every Saturday morning, actually three times a day, three times a week, excuse me, the dump trucks from this huge metropolitan city bring the garbage to that dump site. And mostly men, but sometimes women, are there to forage through that garbage and to eke out a living or food, or clothing, or whatever. And the video doesn't convey the smell, and the sounds, and the burning eyes because of the environment, and the vultures that were coming down to eat 
the garbage and also attack the few animals that were on that dump. And then, of course, the people that we met that were living there and the children who were. And I have to say, and that was about my 10th whatever trip, that's the closest thing to experiencing hell that I hope I ever um, experience this well, I'm not going to hell. I don't know, but I know none of you are. But I, it, it really, and to compartmentalize, it's, I can compartmentalize a lot of things, but it, it was very difficult. So we have got to be prepared for that, and it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that allows you to go through that. And journaling your thoughts. I don't journal, I'm going to confess, on a regular basis, but it's, it is important leading up to your trip, while you're on the trip, and when you come home. So, we want to go in his name. Want to walk humbly, love mercy, and do justly. Expect to experience God in a big way, because you will. I often tell the prayer warriors when I come back, there is nothing like going away and being upheld on a cloud of prayers every day by those that are praying for you and experiencing that and not having to worry. Maybe not even having time to pray yourself, but literally being carried on that cloud of prayers. Know that it's going to require a great sacrifice and you're going to have doubts and there's going to be down times and you're going to want to come home. And then preparing for re-entry. Um, my sweet sister, Jack's wife, Linda, uh, went with us to India, and it was her very first trip. And she's a um, MSW, a social worker, not a medical provider. And we talked about this experience we had and how we couldn't wait to get home and tell everybody. And what did we find out, Linda? People didn't necessarily want to hear it. And if they wanted to hear it, they wanted one or two words. And then it was like, and that is very, very hard. So things like that. And obviously, when you come back and you see what we have, would you agree those have gone? I mean, it's just like, how do I deal with all this? So some may listen, others may not. But you will never be the same. So now I want you to share your comments before we take the rest of the test. Anybody have any questions? Anybody want to offer experiences? Because you guys have all had, yes. Oh yes. So why do you think? Why do you think people? Why do you think? Those of you've gone. I also think that people just don't have that frame of reference. There's no. We have. If you're here, you have no idea how to even conceptualize that. Okay. Absolutely hard to put yourself in those people's shoes if you've not been there. And 
I'm going to feel real guilty. I'm already feeling guilty. I just really don't want to hear any more. Okay? Anybody else? What are other reasons that you think people may not want to hear the story? It is depressing. Now, why do we need to tell the story? And when we tell our story, or what might the Holy Spirit be doing as we tell our story? Working in their hearts. You know, the harvest is great and the workers are few. So we need to tell the story. But what do you do if it's just a total blank slate response? And dust, what's, how does that go? Yeah, move on, move on. If there is a blank slate there, then the Holy Spirit's not at work. You have fulfilled your responsibility because you went and you came back and told. Because we're never to experience God and not share it. That's the whole idea. And give him glory. Any other comments or questions? Okay, and can you argue that point? So, what do we do? Ah, well, good. Where are you going? I mean, in a, in a loving, gracious way. Great. There is a lot of need. You're absolutely right. What, what's your story? Yeah. Anybody else have any other comments or, or questions about going or experiences you want to share? Come on. Yes. Okay, that's great. That's why we looked at motives. I, I, I'm going to throw this question back to all the es- experts in the audience. What are some of the motives for going that, that might not necessarily be the Holy Spirit calling? Well, oh, sorry, I'm not answering that question. This is kind of like a tangent. Well, go ahead, and then we'll get back to this question. a reason in the context of the holy of the lord and his work god gave you that sense of adventure hey there are a lot of people and and i'm married to one god bless him he sends me all over the world that he just go and and you know not everybody's called that's okay but for those who have that sense of adventure you know there's just one less barrier you have to jump over because you're willing to go you're excited about going but it can't be that this is uh, what we call it a National Geographic trip. Oh, goody, and someone's going to pay for it. That can't be the motive. Now, anybody else? Further motives for going that may not be the Holy Spirit speaking? Just from experience, I've heard a lot of people talk about like, they're trying to get into like, professional school, that they go because it looks good. Oh, my gosh. I, okay. Did everybody hear that? A resume builder. Ah, 
Anybody else? Any other motives that you? Yeah, it's just one more notch in my belt. And, and I, I don't want to offend, but there are actually some churches that teach that. One more work that gets you closer to heaven. This will give me a chance to see HIV in action, <gasps> tuberculosis like I've not seen. There, In other words, you get to see all these cases. Kind of like I used to come home and say, oh, great day today. And again, this I love my husband. I use him a lot. He said, oh, how many died? That's how we know it was a good, you know, it was an interesting case. It was, it was get your hands in and blood and guts and all that kind of stuff, yeah. All right, any other questions or comments? Our official time is up. Yes, Linda. Excellent point. What do you think? I think I can use any. Amen. Yeah. That is, we are imperfect, and we will have those uh, those other mixed ideas or motives. Yeah, but that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the point that you also made that I tried to make, and it bears repeating, get ready for that attack by the enemy because it will be there. Recognize it for what it is and just rebuke it because he will work at you 24-7 in the middle of the night. I haven't, anyway. I just love what you said. And what you're demonstrating is you're being transparent and vulnerable. And, oh, my goodness, if those aren't two excellent qualities to have when you step up to the plate to accept his invitation and obey him in whatever is that accountability group around, and you refer to your prayer partners, and you're transparent with them and you're vulnerable. You're willing to hear back from them, too. Well, you guys, this has been great. Um, It's past our time, and if you have any comments or want to talk after, I'll stay for a few minutes. But thanks for being – oh, you've got to take that test. Flip it over, and I'm I'm going to ask you to do it now because I know if you leave, just take a few minutes and answer those same questions again. And I'm not going to collect these. I just want these for you. I want you to see if anything changed in what you're going to take, how you're going to prepare. Just do it real quickly. Um, are there any extras? I, uh, okay. 
Thank you. Uh-huh.